0: Hi, welcome to an unknown adventure. I'm your host, Kimberly Ann, and I finally decided to jump off the 24 7 work hamster wheel to go after my dreams. I will be downsizing from my 750-square-foot mansion to a 60-square-foot van in the summer of 2021, and I started this podcast to share that process with you. I'm hoping that it will add value to your life. And the podcast, kind of like life, is ever-evolving. The topics I will be covering are achieving your dreams, unconventional travel, and minimalism. In each episode, I'll either talk to you about my experiences or I'll interview someone else about one, two, or all three of these topics. So hang on to the roller coaster of life for your unknown adventure. Welcome to podcast number 3. Today, I got to interview Mandy Moore, who's originally from the United States, but she's been nomading for almost 12 years, mostly in Europe. You can find her at vagabondette.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I have to tell you, Mandy set the bar pretty high in general, but especially for the first interview. You're in for a treat because you get to hear firsthand what it's like to work while traveling full time through amazing countries with different languages and customs. Mandy shares some great tips and tricks plus a lot of invaluable personal experience. One of the things she does talk about are the 26 Schengen European countries, which are part of an area that doesn't ask to see passports or have border control in between, in between the 26 countries. As a traveler outside of the EU, you're only allowed to stay in any of these 26 countries for three out of six months. And then you have to leave and go to a non shungun country for three months before you return. Mandy will explain exactly how she's been doing this successfully for over a decade. So here we go on an unknown adventure.
1: My name is Mandy. I am currently in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Um, I am here with... Several friends, we all came and formed a COVID pod that we all had to test to get into, so we're relatively safe and can socialize somewhat as normal, which is kind of nice.
0: And how long have you been there?
1: Uh, I've been here about three weeks so far, and I intend to stay through spring.
0: Oh, okay. And where where were you before? I was in the UK for about four months, and then winter was coming, visa issues,
1: all that fun stuff, so Mexico seemed like a good option.
0: Okay, good. So now we'll start with the questions. So the first question is, what were your dreams and how long did it take you to go after them? I've always been a traveler. My first flight I ever took
1: alone was I was four years old, so it's kind of ingrained in me. So I always wanted to travel. The whole American dream thing was never a big deal to me, but it took a long time to kind of overcome the ingrained responsibility of you have to have a job you have to go to an office if you don't do those things you're not doing it right so I was 27 the first time I left the US and really traveled and I returned a year later to settle down and be responsible and I did that for a few years and then I said forget it so I was 35 when I finally really decided that travel was going to be my thing and I put all my stuff in storage and hit the road And so it took me longer than most, but um, I think I learned a lot while waiting, which really helps me now.
0: And how long have you been on the road?
1: It's going on 12 years now. It'll be 12 years in December.
0: So do you consider yourself a full-time nomad? I
1: am a full-time nomad, yes.
0: Yeah. And you've been traveling nonstop for 12 years? Correct. I mean, there
1: have been times where I've stayed in one country for an extended period of time, but the longest I've lived in any particular place is probably three or four months now.
0: And how do you like it?
1: I love it, usually. I mean, like every lifestyle, it has its ups and downs. But in general, uh, it's great. And the ups far outweigh the downs. So there's not much I would change at this point.
0: And I, I wouldn't say that 35 is old because I'm starting at, you know, 55. So, <laughs> 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 you know, it's all relative, right?
1: It is all relative, but for the general nomading community, I tend to be the grandma, which is fine. It's definitely, uh, I look at things differently than a lot of people who are just starting out with nomading at this
0: point. Well, then they can come to you for advice. Yes.
1: I get a lot of people messaging me for advice. That is very true. Yeah. Which I'm fine to do. I like helping people. It's something I actually really enjoy. So uh, it's very rare that I mind that someone messages me asking me questions.
0: That's really helpful. Was there a major, you know, one major thing that happened in your life to make you move forward into nomad life? Probably not one major thing. The first time I started traveling,
1: I actually was just about to get a promotion at my job, and I didn't want it. I had gone as far as I could go at my existing level. I didn't want to go any higher, and I didn't want a job hunt. So I decided to say forget it, and I quit my job and. Got a job as an au pair in Switzerland for a year so I could live abroad and travel. And all my friends thought I was crazy and said, why can't you go on vacation like a normal person? But what's the fun in that? So So that was really my first round. I was about to have a job I really didn't want. So I said, why not make this big change? And then after I came back, I really was just tired of dealing with an office and tired of office politics and tired of having to wear suits and business clothes. And so I said, all right, let's, let's make this happen again. And here we are. And I actually didn't even intend to be nomading. It wasn't really a thing back then. I intended to just travel for a year and well, you know, 12 years later, here we are. So all the plans (laughs) never seem to work out in my experience. So I don't really plan much anymore.
0: That's awesome. I think that's great. Actually. I really I really respect that a lot. And what responses do you get from people when they find out that you're a nomad? Like people that aren't nomads? So as a woman, a lot of first responses are concerns about safety. And I get a lot of wow, you're so brave
1: and wow, you know, you must be so scared all the time. I get a lot of that, which I find really annoying. But I kind of understand why people have that mentality because, you know, it's a very deep-seated women are weaker and need-to-be-protected kind of mentality that people grow up with. But outside of that, I generally get a 50-50 split of, wow, that's amazing. I wish I could do that. And holy crap, that's crazy. I could never do that. So it's interesting to see. But yeah, it's it's about 50-50. And uh, for the people who say, I wish I could do that, my general response is, you can. You just have to figure out what your priorities are because it's not difficult almost anyone can make this lifestyle work you just have to make different choices
0: yes I completely agree so you're a solo woman traveling correct yeah and have you had any issues I haven't. I mean, not any more than I would have at home. I You get the occasional cat
1: calling and the occasional creepy guy at the bar, and some guy tried to grope me once, but I mean, you could travel on the subway in New York and all that happens in one trip. So you know, it's nothing more concerning than what would happen in in any city in my home country, which is the us.
0: Yes, I agree with that actually. i've had I've had more problems here than I've ever had traveling.
1: Yeah, I will caveat that, and so I didn't know that I'm also very conscious of local culture. So I do my best to make sure I don't stand out and blend with the local culture as much as I can. Um, I know there are people who have had trouble while traveling, and I don't want to minimize that. But I found that if you can try to, you know, assimilate a little bit to the local
0: culture, it helps a lot. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. And then what type of traveler are you? Like, you know, van life or like, how, how are you traveling? So I am very minimalist. Um, I'm super budget. My annual
1: spending averages about 12000 US dollars a year. I travel with, uh, at least for the last, you know, eight or nine years, I've been traveling with a single carry on size bag. I do a lot of house-sitting, which helps keep expenses down, and I really like animals, but I can't have one because of this lifestyle, so it helps me get my furry creature fix when I want to pet things. I am transitioning into van life. Had COVID not happened, I would be currently living in a van, but I will be doing that once. once things open up again in Europe, which is where I am generally based. I will continue on with the van life plan, which I'm really looking forward to. I think it will be kind of the best of both worlds for me. And I did a little test run the first couple months of COVID. I rented a camper van in Germany and lived in that for the first two months. So I learned a ton and I'm looking forward to that becoming more of my lifestyle going forward.
0: I remember when we, we talked just a little bit in the Slack group about you learned what you wanted and what you didn't want. Do, can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Sure. So a lot
0: of people going into
1: van life spend hours watching 5,000 and one van tours on YouTube, and they really have this idea of their perfect van and what it will look like and what they want and what they don't want. But then you can spend a similar number of hours looking at all of the things we would change about our van videos on YouTube. So um, no one ever builds, I think, the perfect van the first time. And by renting, I was able to experience some of the things that I had kind of planned for my own van and experience that I actually really hated that. And I do not want that in my van And so I saved myself, I think, a lot of time and uh, frustration and money. For example, I had been planning on having one of those little two-burner cooktops with the glass lid that comes down. And it was awful. It was inconvenient. It was small. The lid got in the way. You know, I learned that I really need a bigger sink I had a teeny tiny sink in my rental and doing dishes was a nightmare, you know. So there were just certain things that I really uh, learned that I wouldn't have known otherwise. So I actually really, it's expensive. I'm not gonna deny that. But I think the amount of money I saved in putting in things that I would have hated and then having to fix them later was well covered by the expense of renting a van and living in it for a couple of months. Also a test run to make sure that the lifestyle would work for me. I mean, you know, the, the worst fear is building out a van and then learning, you know, two months later that you really hate this. This is not what you want to do. I think it was a good learning experience, not in only what I want out of a van, but also is this lifestyle actually something I want and will be able to do.
0: Yeah, totally. I agree with that. I am not doing that. So <laughs> I I'm having the van built right now and <laughs> just going for it. But my cousin did something similar. She rented a van first and took a, a couple test runs and then ended up buying one so yeah I think that I, yeah. I definitely think that that is a really good idea
1: yeah I mean most, most people don't and most people can't and you know that's just kind of how life works I was lucky enough that it just made sense. I actually rented a van initially to live in while I was hunting to buy a van in Germany. I rented it and I'm like, well, I'll live in this while I van shop. But then it became clear that borders weren't going to open in time for me to be able to buy a van in Germany and then get it to where I needed to get it so I could plate it and insure it and build it and everything. It started out as mostly a, let's just test this and see how it goes and turn it into a good learning experience. But if you can't do that, it is what it is, and you'll figure out how to make it work. Because That's how life works.
0: Right. And it seems like a lot of people build it themselves, and they're kind of looking at the first one as a test run in that they're building it, they're seeing what they like and what they don't like, so then they can sell it and have enough money to make another one.
1: Yeah. I think that's pretty accurate. And it seems like most people go through multiple van builds over the course of several years.
0: Yeah, and that is not what I'm planning on doing, but I does that does make sense to me. Like I understand that. Tell us why, like what you really like about the nomad lifestyle.
1: Uh, For me, one of the biggest things is freedom and flexibility. I get really antsy when I feel like I have to be somewhere, and I start getting antsy when I make plans months in advance because I start stressing out about I have to be in this city, on this date, and all that kind of thing. So I really like the freedom associated with nomading. It's not common, but it's happened on a few times where I've arrived in a place and I thought I was going to love it. And, you know, after a couple of days, I'm like, this is awful. I need to leave. And I've been able to do that. And I like that flexibility. I can leave if I don't like somewhere or if I'm uncomfortable or something like that. And I also like that, you know, if I'm craving Mexican food, I just, I go to Mexico (laughs) and I stay for a while until I don't want Mexican food anymore. Or if I'm craving Polish food, I'll have to Poland for a while. So, which seems like a very odd reason to travel, but I, I went to Portugal so I could drink Vino Verde. So why not travel for food too? So those are kind of... My biggest thing, freedom, is really the biggest one, though, is I like to just be able to go to new places. I hop on Kiwi.com and see where there's a cheap flight. And if I've not been there, then I head there. And I like that flexibility to just be able to do what I want to do.
0: I love the food idea. That's <laughs> food reason. That's so cool. I never, I've never thought of that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: I have, I have tons of uh, notes and places tagged of restaurant recommendations all over the world. Um, I keep everything on a Google Map, and when I'm planning things, I open up my Google Map and pick out a, a location kind of based on where has the most pins that I've not been yet. And head there and a lot of them are restaurants to visit or food to try that kind of thing
0: that's great that's very cool I like that a lot so the kiwi.com is that a tra- is that for what is that <laughs> um,
1: Kiwi.com is a flight search engine the reason I tend to use it is because it's super flexible I can put in like from a destination city or destination region to anywhere in the world in like the month of March and it will give me all the flight options. So it's a great resource for people who can kind of fly any day, from almost anywhere to anywhere, and you can find some cheap places. Like I was house sitting in southern Sweden, and I wasn't sure where I wanted to go next. And I looked, and there was an eight dollar flight to Gdańsk, Poland. And I was like, "Well, I've not been there. Let's go there." And I booked it, and I went. And it's a beautiful little city, and great food, right on the coast. And I really enjoyed great history, great architecture, um, and I really enjoyed my trip. So I've been to a few places like that where. You know, probably wouldn't have gone otherwise, but there was a cheap flight that popped up on TV, so I figured why not.
0: That is so cool. So if you get there, if you get to a new place, you don't have a house that's set up, are you doing hosteling? Like, how are you affording places to stay?
1: Yeah, I have kind of a guideline for hostels. I don't stay in hostels much anymore. When I first started nomading, I did, because when I first started nomading, my monthly budget was $600, US so it was pretty limited. These days, I generally only stay in a hostel if I'm in an expensive city for a short period of time so if I have like a 48 hour layover in Copenhagen I'll stay in a hostel you know even hostels in Copenhagen are expensive and I generally stay at higher end ones I avoid hostels like the plague if they have anything like you know their pub call is great I mean that's not a place I want to stay so yeah I do hostels occasionally but not a whole lot. And then if I'm going to be staying somewhere less than a week, but more than a couple days, uh, I will generally get a hotel. I use Hotels.com because I like their rewards program and I a lot of free nights. But I don't like doing Airbnb for less than a week. A lot of times the check-in and check-out process takes so long that to me it just is too annoying to do if I'm not staying for a while. Anything more than a week, I will generally get an Airbnb for.
0: I'm nodding, but you can't see that. (laughs) I can I I wish you could see my expressions because I'm totally reacting to everything you're saying, but <laughs> you can't. You can't tell. Um, I know, right? No, but that's super. That's great. I love that. That's that's a really good method. That's a really good way to to do things. What are the challenges that you're that you're up against?
1: The biggest problems for me right now in nomading are logistical. I'm just really burnt out on, really, a lot of burnout is tied to finding a place to stay. Searching for apartments that are appropriate on Airbnb is just exhausting, and I'm sick of it. (laughs) And it's it's one of my major motivations for moving into a van is I'm just sick of dealing with finding lodging. Um, I'm sick of looking at dozens of listings to find one that's appropriate. I'm sick of getting there and finding it has a terrible kitchen and there's not a sharp knife to be found. That's really kind of one of my biggest issues. There are smaller issues, uh, you know, like the kitchen thing. You know, usually Airbnb kitchens aren't great, and I like to cook, so that's annoying. Doing laundry in another country can always be really interesting. On more than one occasion, I've taken a photograph of a washing machine and posted it and been like, can anyone tell me what any of these markings mean? (laughs) Because none of this makes sense to me. And that was especially true in the Ukraine. Not only were they word symbols, but I didn't understand Cyrillic, so that was challenging. You know, most of it has has to do with kind of day to day life. I'm lucky that my job doesn't require really intense internet. I'm pretty flexible. I mostly, I mostly do web surfing because I'm doing quality assurance and project management for web development. So I don't have a lot of calls and that kind of thing, which helps a lot. I have some friends who they have hours and hours of video calls every day, which really limits where they can go. So I'm lucky with that regard. But yeah, in, in general, just the logistics of where am I gonna go where am I gonna stay how am I gonna get there I have to pack and unpack all my stuff especially with a single bag It's kind of like paying Tetris every time I move so yeah that's really my biggest yeah kind of burnout thing with you nomadding know, at this point
0: yeah that makes sense and and I I totally understand the washing machine problem because I was in Italy and I couldn't read the washing machine and I looked it up on the internet and I was trying to look up what the different words meant I mean at least I could do that but I still I I ran a couple loads they never washed they were like you know or it filled up with water and it didn't drain or it's like constantly some weird issue so yeah yeah
1: washing machines in Europe are a continual challenge and they take forever. A single load of laundry washes takes like five hours.
0: Right? That is <laughs> I, so true. I understand it. Yep.
1: Yeah. It's eco friendly. How could running for five hours be more eco friendly than running for forty five minutes?
0: Yes, I had that problem too. And then it was like a washer dryer combo, and I forget about it. No, I just took it out and yeah. and line dried it. Like no. Yeah, so,
1: those never work. No. <laughs> They're to <just> slightly damp. <laughs> totally.
0: So with your bags, do you have all your clothes and your computer and all your electronics in one bag? Yes.
1: I have a small day pack. So when I'm flying somewhere... Everything fits into my main bag, which is a 44 liter Osprey Talon, which I love. It's a backpack. It's so comfortable, and I recommend it to everyone who is looking for a bag recommendations. Inside, I put all of my tech into a small day pack. So, on the off chance that they force me to gate check my bag, all I have to do is undo the top and pull out my day pack, and it has all of my tech and everything I don't want to go under the plane inside, and then I can just send my regular bag on its way.
0: That's really smart.
1: I will say currently I am traveling with significantly more baggage than normal and I'm hating it. (laughs) Since I've been preparing for van life, I've been buying things and with the intention of I was supposed to buy a van in March. I had my rental and I started buying all this stuff and now I'm traveling with it all because I couldn't buy my van. (laughs) So I have now this giant roly bag that is horrible. I've flown with it a few times now, and every time I do, I'm reminded why I do carry-on only with a backpack, because the giant roly bag is driving me crazy.
0: That does make sense. And so with your backpack, how many pounds is it? It's about 12 kilos. So 25 pounds-ish, it's a bit overweight. Most most places want you to be below
1: 10 kilos for a carry-on bag. But I find that as long as I'm carrying it on my back, they just assume that it's within the weight recommendations. So I've never had it weighed, except uh, I think once
0: on a Ryanair flight. Oh, yeah. Well, Ryanair. <laughs> you know. Yeah. They're, they they want more money. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, well, so one of the things that comes in handy for that is I have a, a Scotty vest hoodie. So if I'm flying on something like Ryanair, which I can look in advance and see if they're weighing people, I can put all of my heavy stuff in my Scotty vest and I fold it over my arm so if they weigh my bag, it's light. And then as soon as I walk away, I shove my Scotty vest back in my backpack so I'm good to go.
0: That's a good idea. Good ideas. Yay.
1: Yeah, it works. I would never want to wear it, but it
0: works. Right. And I had heard that van life was harder in Europe or just different in Europe because of the roads. Have you heard anything about that? It's definitely more challenging because every country has its own laws.
1: So, you know, in some countries it's super easy and they're open to whatever. And in some countries you really have to hide what you're doing. And if you get caught, the police are very not happy with you. So there's definitely that. You know, the roads, there are a lot of small, windy roads, which can be a bit hairy in a van, but you just have to know what you're you know, comfort level is and what those look like on a Google map and try to avoid them. So, I mean, everywhere, every location is going to have its challenges. I was lucky enough to do my two months in Germany, which was really easy for Van so I So was, I was lucky with that. There will definitely be countries that are a bit more challenging. But I think in general, it's not any more difficult than the US. RVing seems to be a lot more popular in Europe than it is in the US. So I think there's a lot more resources available. But there are definitely things in the US that are easier There's a lot more You know 24 hour convenience stores You need to go to the bathroom In the middle of the night And that kind of thing That really doesn't exist much In Europe So um, They're They're good and bad parts To both
0: Right Yeah that makes sense And then also in Europe The climate differences I mean we have that here too But it's easier We can drive from state to state But in Europe To you know To go from country to country I- I've never driven From one ca- I mean I just take the train have taken the train But do you have to Like cr- you know show your passport Generally, there aren't
1: borders. As long as you're within Schengen, you're generally not going to get stopped at a border. It's a bit different now with COVID. They're doing more filtering than normal, but once that lightens up, it will probably go back to normal. There are, you have to be in mind, especially for non-European citizens, you have to keep in mind Schengen limits, so you have to plan a bit more. You know, you don't want to be stuck in the northern part of Norway. If you've got five days left in your Schengen time, you're going to be in trouble. But it, it involves a bit more planning, for me at least advantages of nomading in in Europe versus the U.S. are substantial. Once I'm no longer earning an income, I will probably move my van over to the U.S. because there's still a lot of the U.S. I want to explore. But while I'm working, it makes zero sense for me to live in the U.S. if I don't have to.
0: Yeah. So then, uh, do you have a visa, a European visa, or are you, you know, moving every three months? Yeah, I don't. I don't hop. So every, every three months, I need to
1: change Schengen versus Non Schengen. A lot of people complain about this, seem to think it's hugely difficult and a giant problem. I don't particularly understand that, but I also have a lot of my favorite countries aren't within Schengen. So, it <laughs> makes it a lot easier to spend time outside. A lot of people seem to really be stuck for where can I go if I need to leave Schengen? And I'm like, there's like 15 great countries within a two-hour flight. Just pick one. I am, however, in the process of applying for my Italian citizenship. I qualify through my great-grandfather. So, one Once that comes through, it will absolutely make my life, especially living in a van, significantly easier. I won't have to plan, you know, where am I and how long is it going to take me to get to a place where I can cross a border into a new country that will start a different time clock ticking. So that will help a lot.
0: Yeah, and then I, because I'm doing some research because I want to move to Europe. Is there's some countries, and it seems like Spain and Portugal are particularly. I, I don't want to say easy, but easier if you're making a certain amount of money per month from whatever source, or if you have a certain amount of money in a bank account, and it's not a high amount, and then you can get a visa for that country. You have to spend a certain amount of time though in the country, or you can't spend a certain amount of time out of the country. Yeah, yeah there are definitely options.
1: I haven't. Been a whole lot of research into those options because of the time requirements. Most of them have a time requirement that would establish you as a tax resident. I currently don't pay taxes anywhere, and I don't particularly want to, so there's not a whole lot of benefit to me to establish myself somewhere as a tax resident. So there are definitely a lot of programs out there. I just haven't really spent any time looking into them because they weren't applicable to my situation.
0: I see. And so, yeah, and we talked about that just briefly Briefly, so with the with the taxes, so legally you don't have to if you're if you're nomading? Well,
1: there are very specific rules. And if you meet those rules, then no, you're not. You know, the U.S. has a weird tax system where it will tax you on worldwide income. However, it also has the foreign earned income exclusion, which if you're outside of the U.S. for 330 days a year, then you're not required to pay income taxes. When I was employed by a U.S. employer, I still had to pay self-employment taxes. But now I'm employed by an international company. So because they are not a U.S. company, I don't have to pay
0: taxes on my income. That saves me a ton of money Which I enjoy And save So I can stop working sooner Oh, that's great And it would be a different thing If we could choose Where our taxes went <laughs> Right? Yeah <laughs> I might be Yeah I would
1: be a bit more Encouraged to pay If I could uh, Allocate my own funds But I don't see that Ever happening Unfortunately
0: Right Exactly Yes Yes And I'm I'm in the uh, Well, I have been Before COVID And the 50% Self-employment tax rate So I was paying 50 percent of my income to uh yeah to the irs and basically working just to pay the irs pretty much yep
1: i there are several people that do that and it's Honestly, the FCIE is is one of the best things about nomading for me. I'm working towards FIRE, which is financial independence, retire early. That's what the acronym means. And if everything goes as planned, I'll be able to stop working within five years. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm not paying, you know, five figures a year towards taxes. And I'm instead banking all of that into investments, which is not something that people living in the U.S. can do. Plus, I have significantly lower cost of living outside of the us and i live inside
0: Right. That's great. I love that. Okay, moving to minimalism, because you you wrote some interesting things about that you were a collector and you had a a ton of stuff. How are you dealing with not having that? What changed?
1: Yeah, when I I first started traveling, you know, I had a full one-bedroom apartment with, I had an art collection of pieces that I had collected from my travels. I had a huge book collection. I had floor-to-ceiling shelves along an entire wall that were jammed full of books. And I had a lot of kitchen stuff because I, I like to cook. So when I first started traveling, I wasn't really sure. Am I am I really going to want to do this for long term? I don't want to get rid of everything I own, and then in six months be like, oh, I, I don't I hate this. I want to come back, and I need to buy all this stuff again. So I put it all into storage, and then I moved it after about six months and put it in the storage in my mom's garage and over the years every time I visited her I would go through boxes and get rid of more and more and more stuff and I'm really down to I think I have like two boxes of books um which are ones that are not easily obtained anymore a bin of art and of art folder uh paintings and that kind of thing And I'm really, that's kind of what I'm down to. I've started, you know, rebuying kitchenware because I find I have a really good kitchen in my van. But, you know, I just, I don't have a lot of stuff anymore and I don't particularly want a lot of stuff. Having a lot of stuff stresses me out. So it it makes it easier. I kind of laugh when I watch van tours because everyone complains about not having enough storage and they're showing all these like giant storage compartments. (laughs) And I'm just looking at that going, I have no idea how I would ever be able to fill that. <laughs> you know, I have, every put everything I owned into this van, the, the one I rented, I think I filled one, one section of one cabinet with everything I owned. It will definitely come in handy for van life. I'm probably the only van lifer who needs to buy things instead of getting rid of things. Yeah, I've just kind of broken that whole, I want all of the things mentality, which helps a lot.
0: Yeah, it helps a lot. Consumerism, I think, you know, speaking from experience, drives a lot of unhappiness and, you know, constantly have to fill the hole, fill the hole with buying things and get the dopamine hit and then it's gone. And then now I have a bunch of stuff (laughs) that I have to get rid of.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's also expectations. When I worked in an office in the U.S., I worked in a high profile position I had to wear business suits every day. I had client meetings with powerful people. So I spent a ridiculous amount of money on business clothes. You know, I couldn't wear the same suit every day. I couldn't wear, you know, the same kind of thing every week. I had to have some level of variety in order to fit the role that I was working in. And when I left, I donated all of my clothes and I had six giant black bin bags of business suits that I donated and you know it was Ann Taylor and you know that level of clothes it wasn't you know it wasn't wasn't Prada it wasn't super expensive but it was it wasn't cheap clothes and it was so freeing (laughs) to be able to drop all that off I donated it to a women's shelter that focused on getting women back into the work environment and job interviews and that kind of thing and it just felt great and I was so nice and I haven't worn a business suit since and I've loved every minute of that. (laughs)
0: That's great. And so what do you, so do you have like a certain amount of clothes like one pair of jeans, six shirts like what do you- um, I kind of cycle through. I
1: generally will buy my clothes at resale shops, at charity shops, because, you know, that thing is really rough on clothes. You know, all of my clothes get thrown into the wash on the same temperature setting. You know, I don't do, there's no delicates, there's no hand washing, <laughs> none of that. So, uh, you know, and I'm wearing a backpack and I'm hiking and doing all this stuff. So I don't find spending a lot of money on clothes makes any sense. So I'll buy things at charity shops and wear them until they start looking really bad and then i'll either donate them or throw them away whichever is more appropriate and buy something new so i kind of have a constantly circulating supply of clothes but it's never much i have like two pairs of pants three or four t-shirts you know a fleece a sweater a couple long sleeve shirts a skirt and a dress i think that's mostly it
0: Wow. I'm sitting, I, I'm I'm now recording in my closet, my walk-in closet, because it's the best for soundproofing. And I'm surrounded by my clothes, which, you know, I have, <laughs> I have like probably more, but I've counted at least 25 skirts. I, I wear skirts <laughs> almost more than anything. So I have at least 25 skirts. I have at least 20 dresses, you know, I mean, and, and the list goes on. I, I have more clothes than I could open my own store. Yeah. Yeah, um, I
1: will. That, that's one thing I'm looking forward to in the van is having a bit more of variety in my wardrobe. But I'll never, I'll never go back to previous levels. I think if I have two or three dresses, I'll be pretty content.
0: Yeah, so. and I and that's smart. You know, I'm working toward minimizing, so I am I'm giving stuff away every day, and. I'm going to put my clothes, the ones that I can't part with on an emotional level, uh, into storage. And then I'm sure in a year I'll be like, okay, I haven't worn that in a year. I can let it go now.
1: Yeah. So I ran into people who think that in order to this lifestyle, you have to have like this nomad kit and you have to go out and you have to buy, you know, all these really expensive merino wool shirts from Under Armour and, you know, all these expensive pants and, you know, all this stuff. And then, you know, they're nomading for six months and they're just like, I'm so sick of wearing the same clothes over and over again. But when you spend $100 on a shirt, you don't really want to chuck it out the window just because you're sick of wearing it. So shopping at charity shops where I'm spending $2 on a shirt, if I'm sick of wearing it in six months, I don't really feel bad about getting rid of it (laughs) and getting a new one. That's one of the advantages of kind of doing it the way I do it is that I have a constantly revolving uh, wardrobe. So I'm never looking at my pile of clothes wearing, I'm so sick of wearing all of these things.
0: That's a really good point. That's great. I, I shop 90% at consignment stores, so I sell all my clothes, and then I use the money to buy more clothes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, it's good, but I have way too many clothes. <laughs> So people are always asking the question, like, how do you make money on the road? I mean, you touched on it, but is it a job that you got once you were nomading or prior to nomading?
1: I currently work at a job I got while nomading. When I first started, when I first hit the road, I was doing SEO and online marketing. Basically, I found a niche site that I could list well on Google and make money from AdSense. And once I hit $600 a month in earnings from that, I, I was out of there. I hit the road. And I did that for several years. And I actually got to the point where I was making good money. I was making about $10,000 a month, which was crazy for a passive website. And then Google changed everything. So at that point, I decided I was sick of being at the mercy of Google's Bug up their butt about changing their search algorithm. So I started to learn to code and I decided I wanted to be a software developer. Because I could earn decent money and it was a steady income, and there was a high demand, and I could do it remotely. So I learned how to code. Um, I was a dev for several years, but I also learned that that was not a good job for me. I did not enjoy it. I was not a good developer. <laughs> I could do things, but it hurt. It was not enjoyable. So I actually was out for drinks with a friend, and we were talking about my job hunting and how I was kind of struggling to figure out what I was doing. And he suggested technical project management. Um, In my past life, I was a project manager for years. And now having been a software developer for a few years, I know the tech side. So I found a job within like a week of him mentioning that Found a job as a technical project manager. And it's perfect fit for me. I work part time. I work four hours a day unless things are really busy. And then I work some more. And it's great. It's it's a good fit for my skills, and it's super flexible, and the company is great. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of a progression of how I came to this job.
0: And it sounds perfect for you.
1: Yeah, when he said that, I was like, oh, my God, that's a great idea. <laughs> and it was like a week later, someone posted the job, actually on Nomad List in this Slack group, someone posted the job listing. And oh. Yeah, it was, it's been great. I'm coming up on three years with them now.
0: That's great. That's really cool. Yeah. You know, what would you tell other people who are aspiring to either follow their dreams or be a minimalist or be a nomad? What advice would you give?
1: So it kind of depends. I see a lot of young people who have never worked before who want to be nomads, and I totally understand that instinct. But my number one piece of advice to them is spend a bit of time working first. Working as a nomad, if you don't have good work skills, can be really difficult. A lot of people fail at nomading because they they don't know how to work well and they don't know how to balance work with hey, I'm on vacation. And so I think spending some time, especially for software developers, spending a year or two at least in an office, learning good work habits, learning how to communicate well with your team, I think is really important in order to be a successful nomad. I'd say at least half of the people who post blog posts about how nomading isn't really a thing and no one can do it and they're going to fail, failed because they just didn't know how to work. So I think it's really important to learn those habits before you hit the road. Um, I totally understand the desire to get out and get going, but think of the long-term impact and rein it in a bit and spend a bit of time learning good work habits. The second one, and this applies to everyone, including the first group, is a lot of people seem to think that being a digital nomad means you're on constant vacation. You're going to all these cool places, and you get to go play tourists, and you get to try new things, and there's a lot of truth to that, but people don't seem to realize that being a nomad is just like your regular life at home, except harder. Um, You have to do things in different languages, in different cultures. You know, We talked earlier about how just doing laundry can to be an all-day thing, by the time you figure it out, everything is harder. So if you go into this lifestyle thinking, I'm going on vacation, this is gonna be great, you're either going to fail or you're gonna burn out hard. A lot of new people make the mistake of moving a lot. You no, know, every three days they're in a new place and they're playing tourists and you know, they just are exhausted. You know, that's kind of the biggest thing and I get called downer a lot on digital nomad forums because it's one of the biggest things I say is this is your real life. Everything you do in your real life now you're going to have to do as nomad you're just going to have to do it in a different place so don't think that you're heading towards constant vacation
0: yeah, I think, those, I think that's great. It's a really good point. It's really important. Yeah, when I travel, I work anyway. So, uh, you know, the last, I don't know, five vacations, quote unquote, I've taken, I've worked four hours a day, five hours a day, sometimes eight hours a day on vacation, quote unquote, because it's not yeah. really a vacation. It's, you know, it's working. And people yeah. that don't have like a work ethic or like they're not used to it, like you said, they, they don't, It's it's hard to understand that or get into that mindset.
1: Yeah, it's really difficult. And and the working on sizing, especially as a develop, as a new developer, is actually from my personal experience. I think the worst choice I made as a developer was to have my first job be remote. I missed out on so much learning. I think it really negatively impacted my developer career. So that's why I really try to stress it to people who want to be developers. Work in the office, but I think that's true for any, any young person who hasn't really worked before. Is they should spend some time in a real work environment before trying to go remote.
0: Right. Yeah. No, good. Really. That's good. That's really good advice. So the last question I have that I asked you before but you, you might have already answered it, the if your present day self could give your 10-year-old self one piece of advice or wisdom, what would it be?
1: Yeah, probably I would tell that person to take less crap. <laughs> When I started, I had the biggest backpack in the world. (laughs) I had an 85 liter bag with like a 15 liter attachment bag. And I had so much junk that now I'm down to, you know, half of that and it's fine. So take less stuff. The rest of the world has things too. So just buy things as you go. If you find you need them, but most people don't need half of what they think they do. Buy a small bag, fill it up normally. Don't use vacuum pack bags and all that kind of stuff and take less stuff. Um, I think that is generally a good rule of thumb for almost everything. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I would agree with that. I know it's funny. It's like before we leave somewhere, we're like, oh, my God, i got to get my favorite deodorant. I've got to get my favorite hair whatever and, you know, all this huge list. and, And then you get somewhere else, like, you know, France, and you're like, wait, they have better stuff here.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Everything you can buy, you can get almost anywhere. There's no need to take a lifetime supply with you.
0: That's true. So your website, the Vagabond Debt website, what can people find there?
1: (laughs) Right now, not much because there's not much going on. In the past, I have posted monthly spend reports so people can see really how much this costs. I actually intend to start doing that again. I've also been focusing on cooking, so I've been posting some cooking stuff and once i start my van stuff i'll post about my build there but really there's not a whole lot going on there right now because most of my day is you know hung out in my apartment in red went for a walk you know oh today i met with my friend and we drank some sparkling water together <laughs> so there's not a whole lot going on in these days so
0: it's
1: right over it the next year that will change
0: <laughs> yeah i know it's like <laughs> it's it's hor- it's really horrible it's really horrible this time of our lives. So uh, you're, are you building your own van yourself? Or are you having friends help? Or are you hiring somebody? I will do a combination.
1: Um, I'm planning on building it all myself, but I have friends in the town where I'm going to build it. And so if people want to come help me, they will be more than welcome. And certain things I will outsource. Um, my gas hookup and my electrical, I will probably outsource that to a professional just because I don't want to die. But the general stuff, building the van, building in the kitchen all that kind of stuff I will do myself I used to go college for how to talk for humanity so I have some background in oh, building wow. which will help
0: wow okay yeah that's awesome that's awesome okay good for you yay and I can't wait to see what your van looks like I'm super excited do you know which van you're gonna get I don't. I'll probably end
1: up getting going with the Ducato. Uh, It seems like the best shape and size for my needs. But it will really depend on what's available once I start shopping. Who knows how things will be affected on the market over the last year. So we'll see. I have have about four different makes and models that I would be interested in buying.
0: Yeah. And these are in Europe. These are like European. Yeah. 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 Okay. Because the, the, one the ones I'm looking at are, are American, and there's only two that fit my criteria. And then I'm hoping to ship it over to Europe.
1: I think shipping it is a good idea. I know some people have sold their van in one place and bought a new one somewhere else, but that just seems so expensive and time-consuming when you can just pay a couple thousand dollars and send what you already have over, assuming you like it.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and then are you going to get an animal, a pet, when you start traveling in your van?
1: I really would like to get a van cat. I miss having a pet. I have decided that I will spend at least a year living in my van to determine if it's actually really feasible for me to have a pet. I don't want to have the pet be in any kind of harm's way or anything like that, so I want to spend a year really living in various climates and situations uh, to see if it's actually really feasible to have a pet before I get one. But I would like a van
0: cat. That would make me very happy. Aw, I think that's a good idea. I like that. I, I have a, um in my day job, I'm an alternative healthcare practitioner, and I have a patient that grew up living in a van with her mom. And they had oh, two, wow. yeah, and they had two cats. And every day they would park somewhere different, somewhere new, and they would open the doors and the cats would run out and explore and come back before it got dark. And yep. yeah which I had never heard of. I didn't know that was possible. So it just sounded really cool to me.
1: Yeah, I'd like to harness train whatever cat that I get so it can go on walks with me. And I think it would be fun. But I want to make sure that I'm bringing them into a safe and comfortable situation. So I figure year will be a good amount of time to experience all the seasons to make sure that that will work. Mm,
0: that's good. Yeah, that's a good plan. And my my cousin has, because she's, she's got a van and she's doing some trips now. And she's bringing her cat and, you know, getting it used to, you know, just like overnight or, you know, for a couple hours or whatever, just trying to get it used to. And, and she's harness training it and everything. So, yeah, it's totally doable. So I, I can't wait to check back. I hope we can check back in when you're in your van and, and find out how that's going and... I'm really excited. I'm super excited for you. Well, thank you. It was so good to talk to you. I really enjoyed the the conversation and the interview. This was really super fun. Yeah, I'm glad it
1: worked out. Good luck with your podcast.
0: Thank you. I'm honored to have been your first interview. here. Here is the new exit for an unknown adventure. Boop, 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 boop. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is also highly appreciated. You can find me and more information about AUA on anunknownadventure.com. I do try to leave extensive show notes, including links to everything we talked about today. But if you have any questions or just want to say hi, please do reach out to me on Instagram or my website. And my Instagram is also an unknown adventure. Your adventure awaits, and I'll be looking for you on your personal road of dreams. <laughs>